I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's go ahead and get to the intro. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight. Expertise. Top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now, today, Hooker. Ready. Boy, we are absolutely loaded up on the show today, as you might expect. It is a Monday after another full week of Tennessee football practice. I guess that would be the first full week of Tennessee football practice, uh, Caleb, as uh, the Vols just uh, was about a half a week the week before, but we're almost already at the midway point, and we've got news from practice, some things that I have been able to dig up that you need to know about on the program today because there have been some developments that make this football team look a lot different than the team that started preseason camp. So we'll get to that on the program. Joe Milton with some big-time love. Also, PFF Pro Football Focus has Tennessee ranked, and I kind of like the spot. I think it's pretty fair. We'll get to that. And how about Joe Milton? According to ESPN and an unnamed coach, the most dangerous guy, quote, the most dangerous guy. I could see that, but would you take him over the other SEC players that made the list? We'll get to that. And Steve Spurrier Captain Obvious says what we all know about the NIL. Bidding wars are happening, but we'll dive into that, and I can give you a little bit of insight about how just straight-up business like this is. This isn't, I fell in love with a girl on my transfer visit. This isn't, I need to go there because they have engineering. This is cash money, and it is more evident than you would even believe, and that's in Tennessee's case. And it's within the rules, and Tennessee's doing as good of a job as anybody at it. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you're watching. How are you, Caleb Calhoun? I am so angry at Rand Carthen and Mel Kuyper for promoting Will Levis. And everybody who thought Will Levis would be good in the NFL, did anybody watch him in preseason last weekend? I've gotten to the point, and maybe it's pushing 50, that I cannot watch preseason games. I'm like, I would rather get on the phone and talk to my mom 
um, for a couple of hours. Your time gets more valuable. Do you watch a lot of preseason games? I watch it when there's when there's a debate over who your team's quarterback is going to be, and I like oh, to yeah. see them in the moment. And Will Levis looked exactly like he looked when he played for Kentucky at Tennessee last year. I mean, except, except healthier. Yes, exactly. Except healthier. He threw the worst fourth quarter interception I think I've ever seen, even in a preseason game. And I'm like, wow, my Titans really traded up to get this guy when Hendon Hooker was still available. Uh, Yep, absolutely. Jacob Warren is on the YouTube page. Jacob, what should people do if they like the program, if they like the Celebrate 98 series, if they like the ball report with Jacob Warren, the ball report with, of course, the one and only Cooper Mays, who I'll have an update on. Jacob, what should people do? What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren asking you to like, subscribe, and share. Dave needs this. He does. All right, there we go. Let's get to it right now. Your thoughts on pro football focus in general, Caleb? I hold pro football focus in high esteem with a caveat. There are things – pro football focus takes a lot of good analytics and data into account. They can't take certain things into account, so I give them a break. So, for instance, it's very hard for them to grade offensive linemen. Jerome Carvin was in the 50s consistently last year, every game he played. Dave, you and I know he's better than an offensive lineman who grades in the 50s. His grade, not his rank. Okay. Because his rank would be pretty good. His grade, yes. Yes, his grade. For those that don't know, the grade's 0 to 100. Go ahead. Right. The grade 0 to 100. His grade was consistently in the 50s. I think – that had a lot to do with other things he was dealing with at the time at, at guard. A lot of times he kind of helped out a lot of tackle. Scheming can hold back grades for cornerbacks and offensive linemen in particular. Now, that, that's true. Uh, that That is true. I, I guess when they're graded, which is when I think of grade, and I want to get to Tennessee being number 11 in pro football focus's preseason top 25. But when pro football focus grades a player – they can't completely take account into the scheme into account. So what happens is they like an NFL scout, for instance, will grade just the player or an evaluator, a recruiter in college, just the player, regardless of scheme. I think there are times pro football focus tries to push the envelope a little bit, get a grade out. And like you said, doesn't account for scheme. Right. Exactly. So I have respect for them. I think they are very good in what they do specifically, but I think it's taken with a caveat and a grain of salt. But there's no bias with pro football focus, and that's what I like. There's no – it's like SP plus or FPI. You can't look at a pro football focus rating and say, that's not fair. This person should be higher. And so I give them credit for that. No, and you see that ESPN's kind of copied it a little bit with Bill Connolly. So pro football focus is, goodness gracious, uh, 15 – uh, 20 years old. So uh, Tennessee's rank and the one player that actually made the preseason list for pro football focus. I'll go ahead and tell you, I was stunned that this was the one and only player Four downs is now. And it's brought to you by our friends at Zen Sports. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Bounds. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. 
All right, here we go. Tennessee number 11, and only one ball makes the first, second, third team. Well, surprising to me. And it's brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares. On Zen Sports, what you see is what you get. With their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash money for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the code HOOKED. That's HOOKED. That's right. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. Use the promo code HOOKED, HOOKED, H-O-O-K-E-D. Tennessee, number one, one, number 11 in the nation in the pro football focus ranking. And Squirrel White, Squirrel White is the only player to make the top three in the rankings. So let's all go ahead. All SEC teams, you mean, to make any of the three SEC teams? Any, any of the three all SEC teams, excuse me. So let's go ahead and get to four downs right now. Our good friend Cooper, who is recovering and uh, texted with over the little uh, over the weekend. Again, I'm not going to share any injury news. I just don't think that's kosher and what we do but i can tell you he's feeling good and the the latest is you know a couple of weeks so we're looking at maybe a in the next week that he could return quite possibly so let's get to four downs right now and uh number one coop coop here first down too high too low tennessee at number 11 here are the teams that rank ahead of them that would be, uh, of course, uh, Georgia is going to be uh, number one. Michigan is number two. Ohio State is number three. Uh, Florida State, number four. Alabama, number five. LSU, number six. Uh, Southern California, number seven. Eight is Clemson. And then nine is Penn State. I'm curious who you would have Tennessee ranked over. And 10 is Texas. What's that? And 10 is Texas. 10 is Texas. Who would you have ranked over that crew? I was so diplomatic on the last segment. I was so diplomatic to pro football focus. I was like, they can't get everything right, that I don't think their stuff is ridiculous. But then I see the list, and I think I, I overlooked when I when we did our rundown this morning, Dave. Florida State at number four. That seems hot. What, what's going on there? What's I mean honestly? What is the what's the data point that has them put? The only thing I could think maybe is maybe PFF doesn't take chemistry or anything into account and just looked at the transfer portal additions. But Tennessee should be ahead of Florida State. I'm sorry, they should be ahead of Florida State. They should also be ahead of Texas. They're the best UT wearing orange this year in football. They will be, and so they should definitely be ahead of Florida State and Texas. They were ahead of Texas in the coaches' poll. I mean, I'm I'm the guy, Dave. That's usually like. I don't, I don't respect coaches' analysis over analytics, but the coaches got it right, at least with Tennessee and Texas, and the analytics are getting it wrong. I can't believe that. <laughs> well, and then would you carry over the Orange Bowl when we're talking about Clemson and Tennessee? Would that be a significant notion in your mind? I mean, would you automatically have them above Clemson because of the Orange Bowl and what was pretty much a meaningless game? 
Um, do you automatically have them above Clemson or do you look at it as this is a new team? I don't automatically have them above Clemson. I do think, I do think the reason I would have Tennessee above Clemson though, it's a combination of that and the fact that Kate Klubnick is Kate Klubnick is no more of a sure bet than Joe Milton is. Um, no, but he, that's true. He's not, but he, he was a higher regarded player coming in. He, he'll he be a high, highly higher regarded player coming into this year than, um, than Milton because Milton has had his struggles in college. With Klubnik, there's always the new feel. And so I think that's part of it. I, I understand that if somebody says I would take Cape Klubnik over Joe Milton because we've got a larger sample size and we have seen Joe Milton struggle. I understand it. I'm not saying it's fair. Does that make sense? Yes. I would take Cape Klubnik over Joe Milton long-term though, but Cape Klubnik versus Joe Milton this year, there's nothing to suggest Klubnik will be better this year. As a matter of fact, the questions about Milton, you can have those questions about Klubnik because, because of the orange bowl, because honestly, Dave, I think bowl games, it's like a pro day for a quarterback. I think they should help the quarterback because I feel like defenses are playing just base coverage and they're just not that into it. So it should actually be an opportunity for quarterbacks to throw all over the field, shouldn't it? And so for yeah. Clubnick to struggle is an issue. And and for I thought they put him in some bad situations too, Clemson's coaches. I felt like they were either going all out to, hey, like this game doesn't mean anything. Let's be aggressive and do some weird things. So they had the fourth down play that they went for. And I, I – I thought they put him in some bad situations. I think he's way better than what we saw in the Orange Bowl, but I got no argument with what you just said. Second down, Coop. Cooper Mays here. Second down. Hey, Squirrel White was the only player to make the top three uh, all-SEC teams and pro football focus. I'm having a lot of trouble with that one, and I'm not just saying it because I like him on a personal and professional level. But how does Cooper Mays not make this? Um, if you're if you're just judging ability, which I guess they're not, I guess they're judging productivity too. How's Brew McCoy not on this list? I don't. It just it Squirrel White's not the best player on the team. He's he may be in the top five, but he's not the best player on the team. Yeah, I I don't know how they got to this. I don't know how they came down to squirrel white. I do know that I will say this, which is I, when I was tracking the grades last year, you could maybe give me more insight to this day, but something about Josh Heupel's scheme, I, I brought up Jerome Carvin. A lot of players, their PFF grades are the offensive line has significantly low PFF grades throughout across the board. The only player who had a high PFF grade last year for Tennessee was Darnell Wright, but that's Darnell Wright. And he was amazing, but well, Ollie the way, Lane. he's dominating in Bears camp. I didn't see that he is. Yeah, he's doing quite well. Don't be surprised if he flips the left tackle pretty soon in his career. Maybe not this year, but soon. Wow. Well, so Ollie Lane was the second highest graded PFF offensive lineman last oh, year. So it's it's it, it, he played five hundred snaps in his career at Tennessee. I don't, and a lot of those were garbage time snaps. How do you even grade that? Yeah, that's that's the thing, and so I I think. Something with Heifel system, with the downfield blocking, with the tempo, hurts the grading of offensive linemen in this system. Kind of like if PFF were to be around in the 90s, Dave, you and I both know, in John Chavis' system, cornerbacks would always have a low PFF grade because they're left on islands all the time 
<laughs> with receivers. And a lot of time they're doing zone coverages and just hoping that the, that the blitzes from the uh, ends force an errant pass somewhere. I'll go ahead and tell you that Dylan Sampson is going to have more yards from scrimmage than Squirrel White this year because Squirrel is going to have to split some time with the other receivers, particularly Dante Thornton. Dylan Sampson has kind of gotten lost in the summer shuffle, but he had the best spring and the best offseason. He'll have, I bet he'll have more yards than Squirrel White this season. It's going to be close, but I'll go out on a limb. What down is next? Cooper Mays? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Who will be on the postseason list on offense? After the season's over and done, you give me your three top players that will make the all-SEC pro football-focused postseason list. So, top mm. three players. I think on – I think offense. that – offense. Okay, okay, on offense, I think, I think Brew McCoy – I would have had Cooper Mays' shoe in, but, you know, just starting the year banged up. Uh, we have him on the show. We love him. But even you have to acknowledge, like, when an offensive line starts the year with an injury and then if they play with that nagging injury all year, it can cause a lot of issues going forward. So let's hope he's okay. But I, from an objective standpoint, I got to pull back at this moment. So Brew McCoy. I mean, if Tennessee is to be you, good this year. Give you, let me give you my third. Sure. I'm going Squirrel White slash Dante Thornton. Well, that would be three. Brew McCoy, Squirrel White, Dante Thornton. <laughs> well, no, uh, I I would have Cooper. Okay. Oh, you would now, have Cooper. I would have Cooper. And then my third is Squirrel White slash Dante Thornton. I don't Two think receivers. Well, slash. Slash. No, no, no. What, what, what I mean. Player. Yes, but it'll be one of the other plus Brew McCoy. So either way, it's going to yes. be two receivers. Yeah, I think we're going to see some more four wide based off what I've been told over the weekend. I think you're going okay. I'm don't hate me. Travis is gonna kill me because this drives him crazy, but I'm going Joe Milton slash Nico Iamaliava. One of them is oh. all SEC. Oh, he's Coop man. Caleb's feeling naughty this morning. What down is it? <laughs> what down is it, Coop? Just turn it up on a Monday. Here we go. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. All right, so fourth down it is. Will there be anyone on the postseason list on defense? Any one person? I can't come up with one. Tyler Barron. I'm going to go Tyler. I think he's this year's Byron Young. I I was going back and forth between Jalen McCullough and Tyler Barron. I think if Jalen McCullough played for a team like Georgia or Alabama – that doesn't have the fast-paced offense, that he would be an all-SEC type of player. I do like him physically. I do like what he brings to the table. But you're always going to be giving up 250, 300 yards passing because teams are going to try to come back. So it's not going to make you look real good. I will say if it's anybody, it is Byron Young. But You mean you mean Tyler Barron? Tyler Barron, Tyler Barron, excuse me. Tyler Barron. But I do not... I actually do not think that Tennessee will will get anybody on the postseason list on defense. Uh, I'm I'm going – I tell you, one of the linebackers, Beasley could be. Beasley could be. So let me give Beasley a shout-out. If I had to pick one, I'd take Beasley. Is that off base? Am I crazy? I don't know if I would take Beasley. I, I, I think we, we miss – 
Beasley made a lot of plays last year, but we missed a lot of times he got out of position, particularly in pass coverage, which was odd because he was a converted safety. So he should have been better in pass coverage. But I think the the issues with Tennessee football at linebacker is if he gets in, he it, it'll be because he racked up stats, but I don't know if it'll be deserving. I mean, I said the same thing with Jeremy Banks last year before everything happened in the South Carolina game. I don't know if anybody noticed, but Jeremy Banks was God awful in coverage last year. I mean, that, that, he's one of the worst coverage linebackers I've ever seen. <laughs> and Beasley yeah, he was he 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 was he was not he was not very good as as a whole last year. Um, he was what you would expect from a first year starter with a lot of hullabaloo before he began the season. But at the end of the day, he was supposed to be an All SEC player, and I don't think he was that. Today's tough question is now, and it's brought to you by Andy Mason of AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. All right, Joe Milton described as, quote, the most dangerous guy by an anonymous coach via the old ESPN. I think they started it. Maybe not, but the anonymous coach thing. And by the way, I've written these stories before, and you have to go into this as a writer with the anonymous coach, Caleb, as he may have an axe to grind or he may have an agenda. So it it just wouldn't surprise me if the anonymous coach wanted to put more hype on Tennessee in hopes that they come tumbling down. So know that any of these anonymous coaches quotes about 25% of them have a strong, strong agenda. If you have a really good relationship with a coach, then you can get stuff out of him. But Joe Milton, the most dangerous guy by an anonymous coach. So today's tough question, the other players that made the list in the SEC would you take Joe Milton over those players? And it's brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. I'm about to make a real estate move. Andy Mason's the only person I need to call. Andy is absolutely phenomenal. Best service, best prices in the biz. So would you take Joe Milton over blank is today's tough question. Would you take Joe Milton over Spencer Rattler, who made the list uh, as far as well, I didn't make a list. He was he was mentioned in this story. Would you take Joe Milton over Spencer Rattler? Yes, because of the offensive coaching. I'm sorry, Spencer, but you have one of the worst. Off- if it wasn't for Mike Bobo, you'd have the worst offensive coordinator in the SEC coaching you this year. But what if you just traded them in January? No, I, I okay. I take if you're talking about just in all things being equal, I, I'd probably take Spencer Rattler. I do think he's better. I would probably take Spencer because of his mo- natural mobility. I mean, I think Joe Milton's going to be able to get up and run, but I think it takes him a couple strides to get going, and I don't think he's comfortable in the pocket yet, so he doesn't know when to run. So I would take Spencer Rattler barely. Daniels. Which is, by the way, no one talks about this. That, that's an issue because when the design runs with the quarterback, you got to go in Josh Heibel's offense. I mean, you got to hit the hole like like a running back, honestly. Absolutely. Uh, Jaden Daniels, you and I both like. I think we'd both take him over Joe Milton right now. Would yes, you? Yes, in, okay. in a heartbeat. Agreed. Uh, K.J. Jefferson. I think people love K.J. Jefferson because there's not a great quarterback in the league. It's a down year of quarterbacks. And he's been around a while and I just, and he's big and he's kind of a good story. 
he kind of reminds me of a slim down Jared Lorenzen. He's just been a while around for a while. He has skills. He's a little plump. I he just um I would take Joe Milton over KJ Jefferson. I don't think it's close. You it's close. It's coaching again. It's Dan Enos versus Josh Heupel. I'm taking Josh Heupel. KJ Jefferson was ahead of Hidden Hooker last year on all SEC teams, funny enough. I haven't seen a quarterback, and Dave, maybe you could educate me. Eric Gaines, 2005, notwithstanding, because that was a weird year. When has a quarterback had a splash year, and then the next year they have a massive drop-off for no reason whatsoever? They just weren't as good. They don't really have a comeback the year after. I mean, the guess is kind of like K.J. Jefferson got figured out, I feel like, more than anything last year. So you're not talking about Tennessee. Any SEC team had a splash yeah, just, in any Any college football team. I don't know of a quarterback that had a great year and then had a major drop off the year after for no with, with without any like exterior factors. They just were significantly worse. And then they rebounded their third year. I feel like if you have a drop off the way KJ Jefferson did, it's because coaches figured you out. Yeah, I just he 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 doesn't look like a comfortable quarterback. He doesn't look like he's seeing the game unfold. It seems like the game's unfolding and then he responds to it, which are two different things. You want to see a second ahead. Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Would you take Joe Milton over Will Rogers? Yes. Rest in peace, Mike Leach. But I let, let's call it what it is. I mean, ev- have you ever trusted a quarterback that played for Mike Leach when they weren't playing for Mike Leach? Fair point. Uh, Devin Leary at Kentucky. Now, Leary entered the 2022 season as an NFL draft prospect at NC State. He had 35 touchdowns in 2021, but after a so-so start, he got a torn pectoral muscle against Florida State, ended his season, so he transferred to Kentucky. Now they have Liam Cohen, who is now their offensive coordinator. He came from uh, Penn State, and uh, he helped accelerate Levis' development. So thoughts on Leary? He seems like he's stepping into a better position than Florida State, and he wouldn't have been the starter. I'm going with I'm going with Devin Leary and Liam Cohen is the best offensive coordinator hire, the best assistant coach hire made this year in the SEC by far. And Tennessee needs to be a little scared of that. Yeah, I would I would go with Joe Milton, but it's close. It's very, very close. Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. I'm going Joe Milton. I'm going Joe Milton. I'm going Joe Milton. Although, again, Jackson Dart does have some good coaching down there. I mean, we all whatever you want to say about him, we trust Lane Kiffin's offensive coaching. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going. And then Carson Beck at Georgia. Look, I know Beck has a ton of talent, but I'm going to take the guy that has even more talent and has played in the SEC. So would you take Joe Milton over Carson Beck? Well, Beck's most famous song is Loser. See what I did there? (laughs) Um. And so because of that, he loses to Joe Milton on this. All right. He's just throwing heat on a a Monday. I knew he would. All right. So coming up, uh, what the H? Tennessee's football offensive success is uh, happening during a defensive renaissance. But up next, is Tennessee, is their best sports ambassador in the history of the program Peyton Manning because he's got a new role at Tennessee. I'll tell you about that right after this with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the Oaks Sports.
Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we wanna be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show, Ooh. a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Here we go. Welcome back here in just a bit. Some practice notes as kind of kind of a halfway point. It's it's a little bit different with the way they used to run it. They'd run Monday to Saturday, so it's easy to know the halfway point. It's not is easy now, but uh, it's kind of a halfway point as we're sitting at August the 14th. And of course the first game against Virginia is September the 2nd for the Vols. Peyton Manning will join the university of Tennessee as a professor. Peyton Manning has been very involved with Tennessee lately. He has gone to the college world series. He's been around. Peyton Manning has a platform that Bob Suffrage or all those guys back in the day would have never had even if they wanted it because he made so much cash. He's able to go to ESPN and he has leverage to do the Manning cast and other projects like that. Is he doing, he's doing the QB one, right? Or quarterback or what's that thing called? There's something that pops up on Netflix that I believe is an Omaha productions thing. But at the end of the day, he's churning out a lot of content, and that's what he wanted to do, and good for him. I mean, I think that's pretty impressive. That's a lot to tackle when you're just a football player 
I say just a football player with air quotes, it would have been a lot easier for Peyton Manning to sit in a booth or sit in a studio to even potentially be a small, non-vocal minority owner or front office exec in the NFL. He could have done those things, but he started a new business. So I got, you know, Caleb and I, particularly with what we're doing, have major kudos for Peyton Manning. Is he the greatest ambassador in Tennessee athletics history? I don't There's even a- know who's second, to be real okay. Well, I think in his prime, I thought John. I mean, I thought Johnny Majors was a pretty darn good ambassador for Tennessee, largely because Johnny Majors left a national championship program at Pitt to go rebuild Tennessee when it was in the dumps, where he was a Heisman runner-up as a player in 1956. So, I mean, I think leaving Pitt for Tennessee, like Johnny Majors did, I know that sounds crazy now. Like, obviously, you would leave Pitt for Tennessee now, but doing it in 1976. After you just won a national title and coached a Heisman Trophy winner, and you knew the state Tennessee was in, to go back to your alma mater and do that, I I, I, I can't look past that. Now, the thing is with Peyton, there's another thing I can't look past, Dave, with Peyton. There, Peyton, like the way I use my tone there, sorry. But there's another thing I can't look past, which is that Dave Peyton was working with the Haslam's in to try to push through the Shiano hire in 2017 because he was trying to get a connection to be an NFL owner. And I, I, I have a lot of respect for him overall as a person, but that was a really, really black Marco Manning's legacy to me with Tennessee because he was willing to force a bad hire on Tennessee so he could get in with the NFL owners and with the Haslam's. Fair. Nobody's perfect, though. And the fact that Peyton Manning is a household name in the world of football. I mean, you could go to Las Vegas and talk to a Raiders fan and say, have you ever heard of Peyton Manning? They're being like, yeah, he's on the Manning cast. He's he Didn't he play for uh, the Colts before he won a Super Bowl with the Broncos? I'm doing like the impression of somebody that's like uh, uh, mid-30s, I guess. But he... Mean? I'm mid-30s. Like everybody... Okay, we all know Peyton from this time. It has to be someone in their teens. Okay, they're, they're teens or 20s. But Caleb, you're a, a little bit more learned than a lot of uh, a lot of the people out there. Some guy stumbling around Vegas. That's why I picked that down. Uh, so I would... Uh, I, th- I don't even think it's close. You know who I think is is close or would be would be second? I don't think there's anybody that's close. Would be second is probably Candace Parker because of the platform she has in women's and men's basketball. And then another one, God rest her soul, would have been Pat Summit. She would have retired from coaching and been a huge ambassador for Tennessee's football program. And the thing about Pat Summit that you kind of alluded to with Manning and that we all know that Philip Fulmer was a little bit self-serving. He loved the university, but I just, Pat Summit was so selfless to the university. I really, from the times I, I was around her, I never got the feeling that it was even close to being as much about her as it was about the university of Tennessee. I don't know that we can say that for the other people we've mentioned, majors, Manning, Fulmer. I think it's no, as that's much- true. I think it's as much about them as it is about Tennessee, right? Oh, absolutely. And for Pat Summit, it wasn't just about even the university. It was about women's basketball as a whole. I mean, let's let's be honest. Pat Summit, I, I, I know they entertained it. 
if she wanted to, she probably could have been the first female coach in history coaching men's basketball. And that would have been a huge statement. No question. She decided, no, I'd rather take this, let's call it what it is, lesser role to build women's basketball to where it is now. That's that was so selfless of her. You're right. And so that's, but that's the thing. It's like, is she an ambassador just for Tennessee at that point? Or is she an ambassador for women's basketball? And so that's where it goes. Boy, rough shot by hoghead who said if former had been selfless, he would have stepped down after 2022. 2002. Or yeah, 2002. Um, That would have been a little early. He was almost in the national after 2002, but he was almost in the national championship game after 2001. That sounds a little strong. Back to Peyton Manning. Do you feel like the core Tennessee fans are always going to remember the record against Florida, which is winless? But do you feel like that's primarily been forgotten because of the two Super Bowls and what he's done? Is is that black mark? Maybe not erased, but maybe half whiteout, if you're old enough to remember whiteout. Um, is is it at that point? Is the Florida stuff completely forgotten? There's never a black mark on his resume to me. I mean, he put up 36 points in 2019. It's not his fault John Chavis allowed 62 points. I'm not. I'm not putting that on Peyton Manning. And it's and so and it's not his fault. In 1997, the coaches wouldn't start Jamal Lewis, and the offensive line had the worst game I've ever seen for an offensive line. I mean, Peyton Manning still did win an SEC championship at Tennessee. And remember this too: the black mark at Florida that you might want to say black mark is wiped out by the fact that Manning turned no pun intended. He turned the tide in the series against Alabama for that time. And that was a big, I mean that 1995 Alabama game and Peyton Manning wasn't just Peyton Manning was beating Alabama. No, Peyton Manning was torching Alabama. Like he was dominating them as a quarterback. I think that if you ask Alabama fans, the two quarterbacks that gave them the most hell were Peyton Manning for three years and Cam Newton for that one year. And we're doing the Celebrate 98 series, and I believe we have the new one. We did a Celebrate 98 series with Hall of Fame where we cited some guys in terms of the toughest, uh, most important. So we want to check that out. I think that's up. Is that up with Fred White yet? Do we have that up? Um, it's going up today. It's going up today. Oh, right up today. Okay, so the Celebrate 98 series. And we, I, I wonder if winning the championship at 98 cast a small blemish on Peyton Manning's legacy. Just because they couldn't do it without, or they couldn't do it with him, but they could do it without him. Makes sense? Do you think there's a blemish on Tom Brady's legacy that Michigan won the national title the year before he became the starter? Well, that's different. The year after is a little bit different. I, I mean, I, I yeah, but it's. I think it's still kind of the same concept. I think that college football is such a, in college basketball, these are such like random sports where there's so many it's a, it, there's so much attrition in college sports that it's not really the same team. I mean, it's, they've, like, we talk about this all the time. That 97 recruiting class, if you look at NFL production, was Fulmer's best class, the 97 one. Well, mm-hmm. they weren't really contributors on the 97 team. They were major contributors on the 98 team. So Deion Grant, Cedric Wilson, Travis Henry. I mean, these guys barely saw the field in 97. So we're, it, it wasn't the same team, not just with Manning. Yeah, it um, it is is not fair to say Peyton Manning didn't win a championship with a similar team in '97. Maybe a better overall team when you start talking about Leonard Little and Terry Fair and those guys. And they did win it in '98. Maybe it's not fair because 
I, I think you had John Chavis not at his best. I think you had Steve Spurrier at his best. So it's not fair, but I still think a lot of people think, hey, you want it without him, no big deal, which sounds crazy. I know he's one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time and one of the, what, top five quarterbacks in the history of the world. So I, I, I'm – I'm somewhere in between. I think with some people at Castapal, I do. And uh, Peyton Manning, I, I ask you this. Have we seen the last of Peyton Manning as a player? Everybody has to run now in the NFL. I don't know that Peyton Manning, he would have a home, but he would have been taught to run like his nephew, Arch, who's very mobile. I don't know that we're going to see a pure pocket quarterback like Peyton Manning or Dan Marino ever again. I mean, how many do we have now? I mean, Matthew Stafford did just win a Super Bowl two years ago. Okay, right. But but then I'm going with the numbers. So Stafford wins a Super Bowl. Uh, who who else is just a pure pocket passer? Well, obviously, Will Levis is going to be an amazing pure pocket passer for the Titans, guys. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, Trevor Lawrence, he's a pocket passer, isn't he? Would you say he runs? Yeah, I think he can run. I think they're still trying to find him. I think they wanted to make sure and develop him as a passer last year. And there might be another step for him. I, When I saw him at camps, I thought he was incredibly athletic, surprisingly athletic. Um, So... Yeah, but that's a fair one. Maybe that's the next one that lacks mobility, that lacks physical ability, that could actually be uh, considered one of the great players in the NFL, despite being purely a pocket passer. So then Steve Spurrier dropping knowledge on us before I get to that. Uh, Trevor hey, says... You, Steve Spurrier. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, Trevor says, you guys think the coaching staff is playing at motivation game with Mincy to try to get him to step up this whole season? in my opinion, comes down to the O-line. They really need Mincy to step up. Yes and yes and yes. And I'm going to address that more, Trevor, a little bit later in the program. I think they flip Mincy over to uh, uh, back and forth on tackles in the first week to try to get his attention. That guy has the physical ability that really nobody else on the team has and maybe the closest to Darnell Wright. He's got to flip the switch. The two guys that need to flip the switch – Mincy immediately, Addison Nichols this year. He needs to be ready for next next year. On the offensive offensive line, those two guys have to flip a switch. Yeah, and it's shocking that they haven't. And this is a – I would like to say it's for motivation, but I'm going to kind of disagree with you, Dave. I, I, I don't think Mincy has gotten where he needs to go, so I think they're just – they don't trust him as a starter. Look, I, I don't think Mincy is that mentally tough. I'm just going to say that. I don't think he's that mentally tough, and I think you got to be mentally tough to play offensive line. Daryl well, Mincy is not going to do what – he's not going to projectile vomit and point at an edge rusher. He's never going to do that. No, fair. Let's get let's change things up a little bit and go ahead and get to some practice notes as uh, Mincy is one of the players we were just talking about. So Mincy has to flip that switch. I think he's the most talented player. Do I think he'll do so based on people I talked to? Completely unknown within the program, just completely unknown. Is he going to flip the switch or not? Have no idea uh, quite often. So some more practice notes is we're at midway of camp and that's uh, Ollie, Ollie, Ollie Lane. He's the heir apparent to fill in for Cooper Mays, who underwent that medical procedure 
Uh, Ollie Lane is not an incredibly talented player, but I do believe because he's been around the program and he's been there the entire time that Josh Heupel has, I do believe that Ollie Lane knows the offense and that means something right then and there. So he can handle the line calls, I think, with great confidence. After that, it gets a little weird, okay? So I'm not sure if he is a guy, Caleb, that can uh, that can go out there and, and dominate. I know he's a big cat. So is Dane Davis, who's like 6'7 at center. They, they tried him there last week. But I, I'm, I, I just don't know that Ollie Lane can go out there and use leverage the way Cooper Mays did. Um, and as a matter of fact, if, if I had a bet, no. I, if I had a bet, I would say no. I don't think that Ollie Lane... If Cooper Mays was a 10, then Ollie Lane at best is going to be a six and a half. Well, that's that is a relief though to hear if you're a Tennessee fan, if Ollie Lee can if Ollie Lee, Ollie Lane can handle the calls because that's the biggest look. The reason the center is the most the it the reason it comes down to center or left tackle for most important position, one's the blind side tackle. But with center, it's because they handle the calls. If it wasn't for handling the calls, the center wouldn't probably be a top three blocker on the line. I mean, you wouldn't, you would probably have. So blocking ability is not as important, funny enough, as handling the calls. It's, it's kind of like a point guard in the NBA. You don't need your point guard. To, your point guard could be your worst scorer on the team. It doesn't matter as long as they can handle the offense and run the offense and run the show. And so if it's true that Ali Lane can handle the calls and if he can snap the ball accurately, you know, actually, you know, not snap it over Joe Milton's head or below Joe Milton. If he can just do those two things, I think you can work around his lack of ability to get leverage blocking. Yes, it's drop off. You'd rather have Cooper Mays, but that's easier to work around than it is working around a center who can't make the calls. Yeah. And when the guard yells, Ollie, Ollie, he has to make sure and get the call out, which is oxen free. You get that? <laughs> I get it. Totally lame. All right. uh, Another practice note up, and this is on offthehooksports.com. Upgraded defense up front, not just upgraded in terms of talent, because the Vols obviously lost Byron Young, who I believe was their most talented player up front last year. But we mentioned Jeremy Banks. I say up front, I mean the top basically six and or seven, if you want to count the nickel back in that regard. But. But what? I'm sorry. I'm just going to say great band every time you say Nickelback. Nickelback, yes. (laughs) Uh, I I would say that Tennessee as a whole is better on the defensive front. We need to see a Tyler Barron step up, like you've mentioned, and we'll see if that can happen, if he can be like a Byron Young. But I think Tennessee is much, much deeper. Like, you know, maybe they felt comfortable with, oh my gosh. um, And their defensive front felt comfortable with, eight to 10 players last year. I think they feel comfortable in the defensive front. Again, the front six or seven, depending on how you want to look at it with about 12 to 14. So uh, then wide open, another practice note, uh, the Vols are stronger receiver than tight end. Don't be surprised if they run a lot more for wide Caleb, but that doesn't mean bad things for Jacob Warren, who could line up as a tight end playing receiver. So he would he would be outside the box. So technically he would be a receiver. Don't be surprised that that if that happens, Arian Carter's good. 
really good. And I asked this question because he was on a list of best incoming players. And we're like, what about Dante Thornton? What about John Campbell? What about all these guys that are transfers and have college experience? I was on that. I was, I was told Aaron Carter is crazy special. He goes by AC now, which I think was the helicopter pilot in Magnum PI. Uh, Caleb, I think that Arian Carter is going to be one of the top freshmen in the SEC. Yeah, I've been I've been hearing this about him since the spring, and I've been high on him. If you remember last year covering recruiting, this was Tennessee's biggest get. This was the one they had to have above anybody else. And no, I think he's a huge get for Tennessee. Look, I, I've, I've been talking about this, and we talked about it with Josh last week. I still think you could run a standard base four three. And yeah, you might be a little bit short man, you know, shorthanded when it comes to offenses spreading the ball. But so what? Would you rather have a mediocre nickelback trying to guard a fifth receiver, a third receiver? Or would you rather just go with the base four three where you could have three linebackers making an impact in the, you know, rushing a passer? I mean, I, that's something you might want to consider. From who I talked to, it would be a big schematic difference. Not not, not to just poo-poo your idea there, but it would be a big schematic difference. Carter would essentially have to learn how to play a nickelback position. He's athletic enough, I believe, to cover a lot of slot receivers. But really, these guys are all taught the mechanics and technique to play Mike linebacker. They're really, even though there are two guys, based off who I talked to, talking about scheme within the program, that you're talking about basically everybody's taught how to play Mike linebacker and you're really almost playing two Mike linebackers which was interesting to me because it's not like the strong side where you're on the tight end or it's uh the weak side where you're not and it's not like the boundary side or the field side where you're on the wide side of the field I, I found that to be pretty interesting but everybody's pretty much taught to play what is essentially a Mike middle linebacker role so that was surprising me to me something that I, I dug up over the weekends I don't know that he could make that transition schematically but i think you could certainly make it physically now steve spurrier says what we all know about the nil bidding wars are happening i can tell you this is fantastic for the balls because right now they're ranking with the very best nil teams in the country and they might be the best so steve spurrier says it's all a bidding war hang in a big duh i mean i mean is that surprise anyone, Caleb? No, but this is why we all love Steve Spurrier because Steve Spurrier says the odd, obvious thing that every coach also wants to pretend isn't true. Because he was asked this on open mic with Mike Bianchi. And what he said was, and I can't do a Spurrier impression, so I'm not going to, but he said if he were how he would have handled NIL today if he were still coaching. And he said, literally, I would have probably tried to do it. Like all these guys are doing it now. You find some wealthy, wealthy guys that sort of have more money than they know what to do with. And then you can try to match what the other schools are offering them. And he just said it because every coach is trying to pretend, no, we're just, you know, we're recruiting the best players and they want to come here because they love the university. And then they get the NIL money to that for endorsements. But, you know, we have integrity and money has nothing to do with these players choosing the university. (laughs) This is why we love Spurrier. Let me tell you how this is playing out. Okay, so it's as simple as this. And we had a question from Top Troop, that transfer wide receiver from Oregon. Do you think he could be Jalen Hyatt, but taller? Yes, I do think he could. But Jalen Hyatt, in all fairness to him, 
was faster than he was at the combine and has clocked one of the top speeds in the history of the NFL and the history of man. So maybe we sold Jalen Hyatt a little bit short, calling him a system player, maybe a little bit short. I thought a lot short. I got to be honest. I was, I, I, having watched it, the fact that he can do these little, you know, the tippy toe catches, which I didn't, he never did in college. We never saw him do that in college. Never had to. Yeah. Never had to. Exactly. (laughs) This is a, this is the hidden hooker point. He's like, it's not my fault. My receivers are always open. <laughs> it's very true. All right. So here's the way things are going now. They're going this way at Tennessee and they're going this way across the board. And I'm not going to name which player this is, but there was a player that Tennessee took in as a transfer either last year or this year. And I know Caleb probably knows because we talked about it before. If you watch every show, you probably know who this is. But he went to one school and he got a $100,000 offer. He got to another school, got a $200,000 offer, and it goes. Now, don't worry about the numbers. I'm not using exact numbers. I'm just trying to make a point. And then you go to the next school, which in this case was Tennessee, and Tennessee was like, we can beat that. So they beat it, and he came to Tennessee. wasn't about the girlfriend. It wasn't about the major that he might get. It was about pure hard cash. And who can blame them? I mean, I'm getting ready to send my son off to UMass. But I tell you what, if Georgia called and said, we'll pay him $300,000 a year to come here and study film instead of going to UMass, I can promise you my son is going to Athens. I mean, there's no question about it. So I don't begrudge any of these guys. And Steve Spurrier wants to say this. I think he's being matter of fact. I don't think he's complaining or whining like he was known to do. Caleb, I think it's just fact of the matter. As a matter of fact, I think Steve Spurrier would excel in this type of situation because it's more business-like. Recruiting was a lot of butt-kissing. That is not fun. And he did not enjoy having to kiss up to a 17-year-old who may or may not be a good player. And that showed as the talent began to fall off a little bit towards the end of his career. Not a lot, but a little bit. So I think Steve Spurrier would be great in this. I think Tennessee's great right in this um yeah i think steve spurrier is right but i think that's gbo time for the balls i think they should be very happy with the way this nil is playing out what we're saying is nil can be very friendly to there's always the x's and o's versus shimmies and joe's comments nil gives another advantage to coaches who like to just coach and be schematic and not worry about recruiting which is we we, we heard this with josh heupel that he was this way and you're right funny story with steve spurrier I know the story. Y- y'all, Emmett Smith was considering coming back for his senior year, which was Steve Spurrier's first year at Florida. And the reason Emmett Smith left was because apparently Spurrier went to him and said, can you just tell me what you're going to do? Because i got to figure out what to do with my running backs in the depth chart. <laughs> he-, he didn't try to sell him or beg him to come back at all, which there was a little bit of Josh Hypo and Steve Spurrier wasn't there where he didn't care about his personnel. He knew he was going to beat you regardless of who he had. And I feel like Josh Hypo has that now. Especially and- defensively. Yeah, and okay, so let me ask you this. With Steve Spurrier, let's say he's in his prime, and it's rocking right now, okay? You're Dante Thornton. Forget the money for a second. Would you go to Florida or would you go to Tennessee? In the 90s? Well, no, right now, but Steve Spurrier has established him. He's like five years deep in his Florida career, okay? So So Steve Spurrier's in his prime right now coaching at Florida, and Josh Heupel's still at Tennessee. So yes. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because they're very similar in that they're based off reads, much like an option. In the the passing game, they're based off reading the safety, both offenses in different ways. 
Boy, I don't know. Um, I think it would. I think it would simply come down to personnel. Like who who's the quarterback? Who are the other players? How close are you to competing? Um, taking money out of the equation, but I think it's 50-50, Hoppel or Spurrier. I mean, that's yeah, it is 50-50. At which point NIL is gonna make the difference because it's it's now if it's 1995, this is crazy. I would have said go to Tennessee over Florida because I feel like Tennessee actually produced more NFL talent at receiver during that time, even if you were gonna put up godly numbers at Florida. I felt like Spurrier spread the ball around a lot more. You know what? As I'm talking out loud, Tennessee. Spurrier spread the ball around a lot more with his receivers. Spurrier, you know this. He was basically felt, I'm in Florida. Get me four track stars. I want to get the track stars and spread them out. And we're not really going to prioritize the receivers. Just who They're all going to beat their guy. Somebody, the, one safety is going to get beat. And whichever safety gets beat, we'll throw it to them. And that was his Fair. philosophy. Why you should be even more pleased with Tennessee's offensive success. Because... It's happening during a defensive renaissance. All right, we'll talk about that. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Wait till we throw these numbers at you because what the balls are doing is even more impressive than you might think off the hook sports. Candace, I was I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. Candace has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Welcome back. Mentioned sports treasures. So glad they're a part of the program. And whether you're into Tennessee football, baseball, uh, or even some of the Pokemon stuff, uh, that is just absolutely red hot and well-stocked at Sports Treasures under new management there, and just a fantastic place to just go hang out. Like, Caleb and I might do a show from there just for funsies. It is awesome, and they have regular NIL signings. 
They've had Hendon Hooker down before. They've had a lot of guys in there. So be sure and check them out. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville. They are the largest sports cards and memorabilia store in the Southeast. Open in 1989. That is uh, pretty awesome. So, Caleb, Tennessee's football offensive success, I would say, had you asked me, is two things. It's the state of college football, and it's Josh Heupel taking advantage of the state of college football. So the state of college football is allowing offensive linemen to release and get downfield on passing plays. So essentially you have blockers three to five year, five yards downfield, whereas the NFL, they allow you like a yard. You can't get downfield on a passing play, but you're able to release with the RPOs. So I think that Josh Heupel has done a fantastic job of taking advantage of that. But this was interesting to me. You brought up that uh, last year, 28.38 points per game was the lowest in FBS since 2011. Georgia won the national title with a ball control offense. And Alabama is bringing in Tommy Reese to return to old school ball control style. So, you're either ahead of the curve or you're behind the curve. You're never the same. You're never, ever the same in sports and probably life. Is Josh Heupel more ahead of the curve or behind the curve based off the numbers that we dug up at our 3.45 a.m. production meeting? We would have to say he's ahead of the curve, right? I mean, because if every, I think if everything's declining, but – his is going up i would say he's ahead of the curve and being unique like that really stands out okay let's let's go and it's not like he's okay behind the curve would be if he had an offensive system that had been done before and then he was just fall you know it had already been established this is a offensive system that hasn't been figured out yet this isn't so 2013 butch jones introduces a spread with his own read Dave, you know this. The spread had already taken over college football. It had already been established as an offense, hadn't it, for seven. Urban Meyer had already won two national titles and was about to win a third at Ohio State. And so that was seven years in. Heibel's offense has not, like, been established across the country yet. So I would say he's ahead of the curve for that. And interestingly enough, 2021 was the lowest scoring average season since 2011 until 2022. And it's, it's something that you just, I think what's, what's happening is people are moving the ball faster, but they're not scoring at the same pace. And Heifel is moving the ball fast, but scoring at the frenetic pace. So I think that's, that it's, it's a major paradox and you're not really noticing it. And it's, some people are accusing Iowa of just skewing the whole thing by themselves, but that's not happening. Um, And another point to bring up is the last two years, Michigan has finally gotten over the hump, won the big 10 and made the college football playoff. They've been a ball control team ever since Jim Harbaugh got there. And there was a genuine belief that Michigan was behind the curve with their ball control offense. And that's why they couldn't beat Ohio state. Well, look at what they've done the last two years. And so this, this is an intriguing trend. But I think that gives an advantage to Josh Heupel going the other way. Um, I think what you said stands out the most about probably a minute ago, and that was there's not a lot of people doing it. 
when it gets to the point, I mean, how many teams are running what Josh Heupel runs right now at a high level that are top 25, top 40 programs? Did you say Southern Cal? Did you say sort of TCU, but it's not really the same? It's not the same offense at all. Yeah. I mean, but tempo, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm reaching, admittedly, to try to think of more than a couple, three, four, five, six teams that are running anything um, similar to what he's running. And by the way, within two years, when we have this conversation, it'll be 10 to 12 at least. Within five years, it'll be 15 to 20 or more that are running a Josh Heupel-style system. All these coaches study other offensive and defensive schemes in the offseason, so you're going to see Josh Heupel's stamp on college football in the coming years. But back to my original question, Coach. Well, so uh, I, I might say Jeff Levy, too. Now, Jeff Levy has his own philosophy, but he did coach under Josh Heupel for two years, and he's now at Oklahoma. So, And I think Brent Venables has given him the keys to the offense to run it, which I don't think is a great sign. I think you want your – I think it's one thing to have an offensive coach who gives the keys to the defense. I don't know if you ever like a defensive coach who doesn't at least have his hands somewhat in the offense. You see what I'm saying? And Yeah, because if you – if you're a defensive coach, you build the program, including practice and game plan, around your defense to some extent, which that could take away snaps from the offense. No, I, th- I think you bring up a great point. You're in a much better situation where if you have an offensive coach and you hand it over to Tim Banks as opposed to vice versa. Completely agree. Right, exactly. Because let's be honest, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, they're all in the offensive meetings. They're not just fo- trying to run their defense and letting the offense do its job. That's what Jeremy Pruitt was doing. <laughs> and that was no. I was told by a co- I was told by a coach on Saban's staff one time that it wasn't unusual for him on a Thursday evening to take the offensive or defensive uh, plan, the game plan, and tear it up and start all over on Thursday night before a Saturday. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You put all that work in, and you've got less than forty-eight hours, and he just tears it up. And you're like, eh, crap. I guess so we'll the, come up with something else. Total deviation, David. You tell me and. Uh, you may know more. There's always been the debate that Saban's a recruiter, but not a technician analytically X's and O's. So what you're saying is he actually is an X's and O's genius too. I think he's, I, th- I think he's the best defensive backs coach that's ever walked the face of the earth. I do, I do okay. believe that. I think he, he kind of came up with that and people still use it to this day, but he was the first of how you keep your hands lower than essentially your, your elbows, or your shoulders. So you can guide receivers and if you kept it low, you didn't get the pass interference call. If you got it up high on somebody's shoulder pads, you're going to get pass interference every time. I think he's an incredible defensive backs coach. That was always the one question I had about Derek Dooley going back is what does he do really, really well? What's his foundation? He would have said special teams and receivers. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anybody says special teams, you got to go to the next dude. <laughs> you, know, you, you gotta go okay cross that one off the list receivers maybe but i, I think that's a, a little bit of a reach uh in retrospect um with the yeah ultimately when when i look at tennessee's offensive success i don't think there's any way josh heupel is behind the curve i think he's still ahead of it when you talk about georgia and alabama don't we have to almost look at them with a caveat I mean, don't we have to look at them as they're the most talented teams? I mean, if Georgia and Alabama said, hey, guys, uh, we're going to start running the wing T this year. 
do you not think that they would be fairly successful at it? They might not win a national championship, but they'd win nine games. Well, it's funny because I have said for years, not the wing tee, which still has the receivers, but I have said for years that someone needs to bring back the single wing where you have two running quarterbacks and you don't know who's going to take the snap. That's how the single wing worked. And I, I agree with that, and I've, I've thought about that before, uh, maybe the old Georgia Tech offense, but the simple fact is you could never recruit. Like, you could flip it in a year. Like, Alabama, if Kirby Smart and Nick Saban said, this is my last year and I want to go out with a bang, they could fire an offensive coordinator and put in that type of offense. But after that, you wouldn't be able to recruit to it. You probably wouldn't. Although, it would turn out a lot of NFL offensive linemen. I mean, heck, Nebraska, say what you want. You wanted to go to Nebraska if you were trying to get to the NFL as a lineman. I mean, they were yeah. going to turn you out. And so, and to as a point that, To the point that walk-ons would go and grow into all Big 12 type of players. I mean, they yeah. were taking walk-ons at times that were – because there were only so many spots with scholarship-wise. But um, And offensive when, line is the hardest position to scout, and they scouted it well. Oh, yeah. Very underrated in what they did there. So, I, yeah, I think that Tennessee's still ahead of the curve. I think Tennessee is going to continue to be ahead of the curve for about three, four, five more years. And then I think that defenses will adapt. But at that point, I believe the theory is that Tennessee's defense will be good enough where you'll see a couple of those four-minute drives per game where they run a little bit of the clock, get the defense fresher, and it'll be a it'll be a game changer in the way that Tennessee's offense looks um they'll still run speed and tempo but they won't be afraid to slow it down in the second quarter um maybe for one four minute six minute drive to be able to get their defense a little bit more fresh so i think that's where you're going to see it change but again georgia who we cited won a national title with ball control offense and alabama bringing in tommy reese to run an old school ball control style i mean that's all true but I think we're talking about talent at a whole different level than really anybody else in the nation. Maybe Ohio State, but maybe Michigan. But still, I'll take the big nasties from down south before I'll take the big nasties from anywhere else in the country. That's why Oregon will never win a national title. Well, and Ohio State is the one state that has talent like on the Ohio has talent on the level of an SEC state. Like it just does. Sure. And and probably um, second to LSU in terms of keeping in-state commitments. Yeah. I mean, who is it? You're telling me Cincinnati can't compete with Ohio State, Dave? Yeah, they cannot. <laughs> so, it, it's funny. here. I actually think it's a little simpler. I think, yes, Tennessee's offense, I think the offense eventually gets figured out in five years. By that point, you've built up, you've had so much success, you've got a recruiting machine on the level of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, so it doesn't really matter if your offense is figured out. I mean, that's really the goal at that point is just to have such credibility as a head coach that you can recruit. Steve Spurrier's offense was figured out by 1997. He still went to South Carolina and had the best run in South Carolina history because he could get elite talent because he was Steve Spurrier, the success he had had when he was ahead of the curve mattered. I mean, look at Bruce Pearl in basketball. Bruce Pearl brought in the press defense and the flex offense when nobody in the SEC was running it. They figured it out in four years. So what? Bruce Pearl was a household name by that point, and it was very easy for him to recruit at that point. So the goal is become a household name before you're figured out. And if you are, it doesn't even matter if you're figured out because then you're going to recruit the best talent anyway. I got, I got no 
uh, argument with any of that. Hit that like and subscribe button as the channel continues to grow. Check out offthehooksports.com. And if you see us on the Twitter, retweet it. We appreciate that. We want to grow the community. We love you that have already been a part of what we do each and every weekday at 10 a.m., but we want to grow this thing and uh, have a good time. It's going to be a special season for Tennessee, I believe. I did mention um, that uh, I think Cooper Mays is still hoping to be back by the end of next week. And we'll continue to keep a close eye on that. Because if I'm Josh Heupel, I'm going to be overly optimistic when in the back of my mind, I could think sitting to the Florida game. I could easily make that argument in my head but we'll discuss that more tomorrow each and every weekday at 10 a.m he's caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker off the hook sports hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.